I don't know. Okay. Um, so this is the art broadcast. That's Clarissa Prieto. This is me. And I'm Rebecca Mancia, and you're listening to the art broadcast where we talk about female artists underrated and female underrated um, and their importance in the art world and to us and their major works. And um, welcome. Thanks for listening. Thanks for coming <laughs> <on>. <laughs> you, uh, You've been warned. We're explicit. There's oh, a little right. <laughs> explicit So this one, too, this artist is a little darker. The, her story is a little darker than, yeah. than usual. So She, um, right. I mean, we just did Sophie Call, who was, like, fun and, and like, kind of, funny like and bubbly. quirky. Yeah, so, um, and... Even before that, with Georgia, it was like... Right. Yeah. Georgia O'Keefe, everybody knows. She lived well into her 80s, mm. 90s. She had a long life, but um, who were you talking about? So we're doing Ana Mendieta. Um, and she is... Well, she was a Cuban-American performance artist, sculptor, painter... Filmmaker, photographer, kind of a little like Sophie Call, where she was everything to everyone. Right. So she was born November 18th, 1948, and she died um, September 8th, 1985. Are we going to get into her death? Yeah. I, right now? I, no, we can talk about that at the end. Because right. I don't want to. She, yeah, yeah. I don't want to start off that way. Okay. She she made a lot of really important work um, before her death. And right. she was very prolific. She made, in her extremely short life, she died at 36, she made over 200 works. Yeah. Like, she she was just fucking producing like crazy. And there, and she was a, a great artist and someone who we should know about more than yeah. just her death and, and her she, connections. She was a person who, like, kind of like Sophie Cow, definitely worked from the heart. Like, a lot of her projects were, the messages were really powerful mm -hmm. and um she was a very prominent well she was a feminist and like she yeah. she carried that movement with her she in all of her works basically identified as a latina artist and she really fought for those those like afro cuban sort of she like was not afraid to to call white people out on their bullshit which i appreciate but um, it's also, I feel like we should say, a lot darker than, because she was allegedly murdered. Um, so this episode is gonna, just going to be a lot darker. I think we try to keep everything I mean, a little more fun. But her subject matter is, is also is yeah. pretty dark. Um, yeah. But it's like very real, very politically correct. Um, so a little bit about her background. Um, so she was born in Havana, Cuba. Um, her parents, well, her family, they were pretty prominent. Um, you know, they were involved in politics and, like, the social life. Um, so they were pretty well-known in Cuba. Um, <clears throat> so at age 12, and her and her sister... Mm -hmm. Her older, older sister, yeah. yeah. So she, when she was twelve and her sister was fourteen, Raqueline. they were they were sent to the United States um, through the operation Peter Pan. The operation Peter Pan, uh, which was kind of like 
in conjunction, like a charity that the Catholic Church was doing mm-hmm. at the time. Should we go into deeper about what this is? Um, it was a mass exodus of over 14,000 um, unaccompanied Cuban minors in the United States. And this happened between, uh, to the United States. Um, and this happened between 1960 and 1962. So basically her and her sister got a part of this Catholic movement or whatever. Um, and they, uh, sent them over to the United States basically as refugees. Yeah. <clears throat> she was shuffled around. She didn't really have a resting place. Mm-hmm. She started off in like reformatory school and foster homes and, her and her sister weren't separated, thankfully, because her parents, like, signed over a document saying that they couldn't be, but, um, right. it was a really it was like restless... A, it was a power of attorney. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, they um, were able to stay together. Until her mother and her younger brother joined them several years later in 1966. And then her father was imprisoned in Cuba because of his involvement in the Bay of Pigs. Um, a little history. Bah, bah, bah. A little, a little <laughs> history pause. Our history break. So um, Cuban and U.S. relations have been fraught for many years, but um, sort of like a small little tidbit. We're not going to fucking get into Castro yeah, and Che Guevara and the whole fucking thing. But, no, um, no we're not. It was, um, I don't know how history is going to remember remember Fidel Castro, because he was, some people remember his, him as a tyrant, and a fucking, like, such a four-letter-seeming word, a communist, like, to Americans, like, oh my god, you're a communist. But he was, like, <laughs> he was a proponent of, like, universal health care and yeah. universal education, but um, there was sort of an, like, a um, knowledge dump when a bunch of people after he got power like a bunch of well-educated doctors and teachers and lawyers sort of left Cuba for the United States um and the economy was up and down but like so was America bro like right now what's happening in America people are simultaneously billionaires and living on the street like we're not doing any better but whatever that's not what the U.S. government would lead you to believe but um so he so during the during the 60s and 70s he came into power there was a big coup in Cuba and um he took over power and he, it was a dictatorship and there wasn't like he sort of stripped people of the rights to certain literature and to voting um but he was also sort of like nationalizing things that were held by the US government. So like he took back the banks, he took back the farms, like the coffee and the cigar industry were huge and they were owned by people um during the 60s and 70s like the farmlands, 70% of Cuban um farms and ranches were owned by US citizens. Mm-hmm. Like that's fucking crazy. So he wanted it back for but um her father was imprisoned for his role in the Bay of Pigs, which was put into motion by Eisenhower, but finished off by Kennedy. Um, And it was a failure. So the U.S. was trying to take control back of this tiny little island of Cuba, miles from the Florida coastline, and it was a huge failure. And several um, 
troops were killed and imprisoned, and it was like a big X across Kennedy's presidency. But um, so her par- her father wasn't able to join her in the U.S. until 1979. But um, that's kind of where it comes from: is that she was ripped. Like a lot of her work deals with her displacement. She was ripped from yeah. her home, her like upper middle class Cuban lifestyle, to this. Shuffling around in the middle of fucking nowhere, Iowa. (laughs) Out of all places to Iowa. Right, but her father didn't want her to go to Havana, uh, to fucking Miami from Havana because he didn't. He, it was too Cuban for him. He wanted her to be real. So, so Iowa was real the, deep. The next, the next choice. logical step, right? Naturally, <laughs> right is yeah. It's a little strange, but, um, but she still grew up pretty sheltered. I mean, can you imagine like living? She in was America, twelve when they moved. Iowa. It. Yeah, <laughs> it was a big deal. Yeah, I don't sure. like. What were you doing when you were twelve? I was in the seventh grade. I don't even remember what I was doing. I was doing. deep into my obsession with Patrick Swayze. I don't it know. Was what like I, was I don't know. I can't even remember what I was doing when I was 12, but I, I'm sure it, it wasn't, like, huge, you know, life-altering things, like, right. moving. you can only imagine. Yeah, exactly. It's, like, right when you're coming into your, like, teenage years. Yeah. It's really the cusp. Exactly. So she was shuffled around until she was reunited with her mother and brother, and she went to the University of Iowa um, for her BA and her MA. So she was there for quite a long time and she worked under the German artist Hans Breder, who was also her lover. She, um, so she was sort of inspired by the avant-garde that was coming into American sort of minimalism at the time and this like earth relationship for artists. So her, um, her work is kind of about the earth, organic materials, blood, fire, um, and her early performances especially were really violent. Um, but the first one we're going to talk about is a little more mild. 1972, um, untitled, also known as the facial hair transplant. Um, it's an it's a, it's a image that I've seen a lot of her, especially the profile view yeah, yeah. of her with like the mustache or the chin-strapped chin beard. Yeah. Um, and we'll post it. We'll actually post it on our Tumblr yeah, or yeah. our Instagram Um, but she asked a fellow student to trim his beard and she collected the trimmings and then carefully glued them onto her own face. And she documented the whole process, which is kind of an early view into like the super eight films that she would make later and the sort of body modification and the severing of something. So like, even though it wasn't violent, she was still, there was a transference of power, like this male masculinity she took from someone else and put onto herself. Um, And so it's about beauty, the constructs of like the idea of feminine beauty and gender politics and power. Um, And it's still organic material. It's hair. Um, So yeah, I think it's pretty interesting and, it's she her face isn't normally that she's a lot about the body but not necessarily the yeah, face. Yeah, her face is definitely like just looking at this project. Um her def her face is definitely the focal point of these photos naturally, which is kind of different and it's kind of refreshing to see her face <clears throat> like along with, you know, the it's like not the subject but it's, you know, it's yeah. still interesting to see. Later on, she's she's nude for a lot of her works, and she uses her full body, but not necessarily, like, full-on face You're right. profile, whatever. It's very different. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, I think it's a good early indicator of where she would go next. Right. And then something really bad happens the next year, 1973, um, and she makes the piece. What is it? So, so in 1973, she makes probably, like, arguably her most maybe controversial piece. Maybe. Maybe. Um, it definitely <laughs> a lot of her pieces are controversial. A lot of her pieces are controversial, but this and one. And dark. Yeah, this one is kind of um, very graphic, I think. So, yeah. um, in 1973, she does um, a project called Rape Scene. Um, so while she was enrolled in the University of Iowa, um, she, she is told of a murder, right? So this, so a young college student, Sarah Ann Otten, yeah. was found strangled to death in her dorm room and James Wendell Hall was uh, taken to trial for the murder, and he was convicted, but it was later later overturned right. because the prosecution withheld evidence. Mm-hmm. But then, um, so then it's whatever. He, we don't know whether or not he perpetrated this crime, whatever. He was acquitted of it, according to this trial. But um, he was later, 20 years later, he was convicted of another murder, mm-hmm. another strangulation murder. Um, so she was found dead in the dorm room. The same, she was in the same class as Anna Mendieta. Like she was, she knew her. And so she was really affected by her death and her murder and her rape. Yeah. I mean, so she she does a project and she names it Rape Scene. And basically what she does is she um, she takes a table, fake blood, and she... Animal is, blood. Animal blood. Mm-hmm. And she's half naked, so she's naked from the waist down. And she basically just lays on this table um, with this animal blood pouring down her legs. Yeah, she invited, she sort of, the way someone described it is that she, like, invited her classmates over without really any introduction to it, so she left her front door cracked, and they let themselves in, and they found her with this, like, single light shining on her. It's, like, very gentileski, like, one light shining on her bare back as she's bent over this table, like, blood smeared on her on her butt and her thighs. Right. There's broken dishes everywhere. It's it's very violent. It's very graphic. Like, even looking at this is, like... She's definitely trying to... She's getting her point across, you know? She's talking about the injustices of this case. Of the patriarchy, yeah. Um, and, you know, she's... She's really trying to shock people. Yeah, and I think that she didn't want this to be forgotten. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know. I think you can make the criticism for, like, her using this woman's death for her own art, but I think I think she's trying to bring attention to it, which I really respect. Right. But um, it's definitely dark. But she's using her own body as a medium, which she uses again and again in a lot of her work. Um which I think you can see as either vain or an autobiographical, or you can see it as something to sort of transcend those lines and really speak to to the truth. But, um, yeah, it's dark. This is, uh, it's going to be a little less lighthearted. I know. This one's going to be a little tricky. It's tough. It's a tough, she, um, she had a really short... She talks about real things, Yeah. So, I think... Her most well-known work is um, 
her Silhouetta series. Um, it's performance, it's sculpture, it's film, it's a drawing sometimes. Um, it definitely revolves around the body, nature, spirituality. Um, it started in 1973 and she sort of finishes it off around 1980. Um, it takes place in Iowa, in Colombia, or in Cuba, in Mexico. Um, and she's talking about like Central American and Caribbean religions, about the landscape, about um, the archetypal feminine and the female, um, and about herself and about how she fits into the world. Yeah. Um, but she is experimental at this time. It's something that's very different. And I, in the podcast I was listening to about it, um, which is really great. I recommend it. No Man's Land. They talk about, like, different women. Um, sometimes how they're influenced by men, but sort of how they, like, defy it all. They do want a really good one on Sylvia Plath about Queenie, mm -hmm. the person who used to run, like, the drugs in New York. But um, they, her friend, Carolee Schneeman... Uh, talks about how she's a fucking badass, and she just died like five days ago. Whoa! Yeah, like f literal five days ago. That's but crazy. she was so fucking cool. She was another artist who we'll get to someday. Um, <laughs> but she was saying how at the time, like women could either be art model or art muse. Like you weren't allowed to make your own art about yeah, your own right. body. Like it especially was a, a woman of color too. Yeah, like yeah. it was just something that you that made men nervous or mm -hmm. whatever. Like fucking get over yourself. But um she was talking about she says something along the lines of like men weren't aroused by her work even though she was naked and so they were getting really <laughs> pissed off about it because um, they didn't know how to feel and um, in an artist statement Mendieta says about her this work she says I have been carrying out a dialogue in an I've been carrying out a dialogue between the landscape and the female body based on my own silhouette. I believe that I have been a direct result of my having been torn from my homeland, Cuba, during my adolescence. I am overwhelmed by the feeling of having been cast from the womb of nature. My art is a way I reestablish the bonds that unite me to the universe. It is a return to the maternal source. Jesus. <laughs> right. She's, um, her niece who does a lot of work, um, she's a documentarian and she does a lot of work about, about Mendieta's, Anna's work. Mm -hmm. Um, she says that she was like a really fun, like loud person. She's really small. Yeah. Um, she's like 93 pounds, but wow. she was like really loud and abrasive and mm -hmm. she says that like she was fun but her work is so serious yeah that it's hard for me to get a sense of who she was yeah it's really hard to like you know figure out what her personality was like yeah. through her work yeah it's very emotional it's very yeah it's, yeah it's yeah there's a weight to it yeah in the silhouette series specifically too it's just like so quiet mm -hmm. you know like yeah. it's such a silent like series where it's like so still and the films that she did yeah um we'll talk about a few of them but they were mostly silent mm -hmm. so you would just be watching either Mendieta like submerge herself in this like this hole that she carved in the ground or like watching fire go off but with no sound mm -hmm. at all like it's very 
ephemeral. Yeah, it's super daunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Which is interesting. Loud. Yeah, yeah, super so. interesting. Um, um, so she did this series from 1973 to 1980. She, yeah, it's a big, yeah. big chunk of her work. Yeah, the Tate has a couple. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of, they range. Bless you. Um, <laughs> I'm good. Dander, pet dander. Um, so she did a few that they're very different. But I think before we get into the real meat of it, I want to talk about the one that she did in nineteen, a piece that she did in nineteen seventy three. That's sort of a silhouette series, but um. It's a little different. So she's blurring the boundaries between, of course, film, sculpture, photography. Um, It's a still image from a film. Um, And instead of using the imprint of her body, she's using her actual body, which is pretty rare. So she's sitting in Mexico. She's sitting in a tomb, um, nude in the tomb of Zapotec. Um, she's in the center of her, in, in the image, her body and her face are obstructed by flowers and foliage and leaves, and she's sort of becoming one with the landscape. She's surrounded by rocks and dirt. The and flowers were meant to look like they're, like, growing coming, out of her, yeah. Yeah, coming up out of her, um... And she bought the flowers at the market nearby, and she's literally covered and surrounded by time and history. So this is kind of, like, I think the start off to the silhouette. It's, like, her, I think later on, she just becomes more and more refined, Mm -hmm. which is kind of sad, because she never got a chance to be a mature artist. But um, We're getting ahead of ourselves. We'll get into that later. (laughs) Um, So the... So, it was a large series, yeah. so, like, I mean, know, seven years. Yeah. It was so a lot of work. A lot of them were pretty well-known. I mean, most of them were untitled. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, like, she had a <laughs> she died at 36, so she, she was so prolific during that time that, like, it's, I think, hard to suss out exactly. There's, mm-hmm. I think, three major sections of her work yeah. would be the Silhouetta series, and then she made a series when she be- went back to Cuba, and then she made one when she went to Rome later on. But um, this one, there's a few interesting pieces. There's one, the Silhouetta Sangrin- Sangrienta. Mm-hmm. Sangrienta. Sure. <laughs> it's bleeding, like bloody silhouette. Bloody silhouette, yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, and I like this one. It's another silent film. Right. She lays down, like face down, in this carved out silhouette of her body. Um, this like really brilliant, bright red liquid fills this hole, and then she lays face down in it, mostly submerged. Um, and it's two minutes long, and it's silent. And, yeah, I think it's, like, violent, and there's a, there's a quietness to it. Again, it's, like, it's very haunting and very ephemeral. And these works only exist now. Like, she makes them in the earth, and then they're gone. They only exist now in the photographs and the films that she's made. Right. Yeah. Um, 
another one that I wanted to talk about, like, from this series was, um, the Silhouette in Fuego, mm-hmm. where she, it's a color film, again, totally silent, three minutes long. It's like a white um, silhouette on the ground that she ignites and then slowly burns. Again, violent, but also, I think, in what I've been reading, that fire can symbolize like a regeneration and a renewal of life. Like, it's a phoenix coming from the ashes. Right. So I think that's interesting. And then she did another... um, so that one was 1975. She did another in 1976, Silhueta con, de Conjetes, um, where she commissioned a local Mexican artist. This, these were made in Oaxaca. Um, so she commissioned an artist to make fireworks in the shape of this freestanding Castillo and... They were red and orange, and you watch the film, and you slowly watch them pop and burst, and then turn into, like, a billowing smoke. So you're getting this these, like, really big explosions, but you're not getting to hear any of it, which I think is pretty interesting. But yeah. Yeah. They're, um, the, yeah, they're definitely haunting works, and you get to feel her sense of place and of displacement. Yeah. And body. Her use and, of symbolism mm-hmm. to um, still, like, using her body as the subject, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Even even though not she's not always physically in the films or yeah. in the frames, she's... You can feel her yeah. presence. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. She, uh... She was, yeah, she was definitely into, I think she's talking about the body and the self, mm-hmm. like, in stra- abstract forms, but also very personal. Um, but there's a few other works that were made sort of during this time, but that weren't Silhouette series. So one of them that we wanted to talk about was um, People Looking at Blood Mofit. Yeah. That so. one happened, like, pretty early on, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was 1973. People looking at Blood Moffit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's how you say it. I'm not it. sure. Ma- I think that's or, what is it her... Moffitt? <laughs> Moffitt Moffitt. Moffitt. I think that was, like, her street, or maybe, like, what her building was right. called. Right. So, um, this is in... So this was filmed in New York, and basically she did this with her sister, actually, Uh, So Mendieta basically placed uh, a blood-soaked rag um, and spread animal blood on a sidewalk in front of her, outside of her home. Mm -hmm. And basically what she did was take photos of the people that walked by it, kind of questioning, like, what what they do, you know? So she... She does this until eventually it is washed off the sidewalk. <laughs> yeah, the person, the right. store owner next door just, like, rinses right. it down. Exactly. But it's a very interesting project because these photos kind of, you know, the people are, some people are looking down at it. Um, you know, they obviously walk around it. Some people, you know, it looks like they're having a conversation about it. But, like... But nobody stops. But no one stops to, yeah. to like... Figure out the fuck is right, going on. Right, to figure out where the source of this blood and the rag is from. Yeah. And I think 
I mean, what do you think the point is that she was trying to come across? I mean, because using a rag, I feel, is so specific. So feminine. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, she yeah. was definitely trying to Right, you're it. on the rag yeah. is a way to say, you know, like, it's a derogatory yeah, thing exactly, to say. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a, still a response to what happened to her classmate. Like, I think yeah. it's still about the patriarchy and yeah. male dominance and violence and mm. the suppression of the feminine, right. I think is really right. what it's talking about. Right. And the fact that people walk by it and deal with it every day and mm. aren't, mm. they refuse to address it yeah. directly. And then it's this question of also, like, do you say something? Like, Did you, you ever know? watch that, um, that fucking show on NBC with John Quijones? Where no! Is <laughs> what would... <laughs> What would you do? You never watch that show? Oh, actually, I hated I, that show. I love that show. It made me cry it, every me time. Too. It's so sad, though. When there's, like, people who are, like, saying mean things yeah. or, like, no, being bullies in public. Show, but and then, like, what would you do It's in so situation? eye-opening, though. I'm such <laughs> a bitch. Terrible. I 100% would call someone out in public if they were being a asshole to someone else that's where i think i take comfort in it yeah right. is that like my mom taught me to be a real dick to, to people treating other people mean it's hilarious for no reason yeah but um that's what it kind of reminds right, me right right well it's definitely like a really morphed morbid version of that yeah you know yeah, yeah. for sure but like I mean, I, I've always been curious, you know, like, what would you do? Like, you know, like, <laughs> right. if you saw something, would you say something? And I think that's, like, the right. question. That's, yeah. like, one half of the project, I feel like, because I yeah. think the other half is, like, you right, know, Right, sort of what representing, yeah, yeah, the blood exactly. and the, yeah. I like this one. I do, too. Yeah. yeah I think it's, yeah, it's provocative it's and simple controversial. Too. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of her work is, is pretty straightforward. Yeah, yeah. And simple, but, um... So, in 1970, so her, so the Silhouette series goes on from 1973 yeah. to 1980. Um, so, during this time, 1978, she joins the Artist's Residence Incorporated, AIR Gallery in New York City. Um, it's the first woman-run, woman-established gallery in the U.S. Um, and she sort of used it to network with other female artists at the time and get her work out there. Um, she took a really active role she in the administration, and then she also curated a few shows, including um, an exhibition of the Third World Women Artists of the United States. And she had her own solo exhibit there of her photographs. Um, a lot of them were from the Silhouette series. And during this time, she met um, Carl Andre. Mm. Yeah, so she met someone... So, I guess a little backstory on Carl Andre. I mean, there's not much to him. Fuck men. I mean... Especially fuck this guy. Yeah, I mean, we'll get to that, but... We'll get to that later. I'm um, pretty mad about So, he it. was a sculptor. Yeah, he was an avant-garde minimalist yeah. sculptor of the time. He was from Quincy, Massachusetts, first I know. Off. Did you see that? I, I was like, that. oh my god. I was literally trying to find a photo of him. Did you find one? Just one, one of when he was What older. does he look like? An old white guy. He was tall. He was really? like a big man. Yeah. So weird. So he's on like an art critic board or right <laughs> or what? He's on the fucking most most male thing that you the the reason they meet is that he's on a board at AIR at the time that's called what is it? 
it's like the most how has women's art practice affected male artists social attitudes that's what the panel is called oh god who gives a fuck I that's know. My, like who gives a fuck the, about how men are affected by women not me not anyone who cares fuck you like that's i uh, everything about this man just makes me more and more pissed yeah, off he's i really hate him annoying. But she falls in love with him. Whatever. Fuck him. I can't can't stand him. Whatever. We'll get into why later on. I can't. I can only grit my teeth and bear through this. But, um, so they meet. He comes to her solo exhibit. They meet and they feel an instant attraction to each other. Um, in this podcast I was listening to, No Man's Land, um, she says, the host sort of says that. She was seeing someone else at the time, but after meeting Andre, she sees them both for a while and then only dates him um, from then until her death. Um, Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. We'll get that later on. But she resigns from AIR um, in 1982. Some believe it was the result of this sort of dispute instigated by Andre over this collaborative piece that they submitted. Um, but she also said, which I fucking, yes, she says, um, that the movement, the feminist movement of the time was American feminism as it stands is basically a white middle class movement. That's what she says. Yes. About American feminism of right. the time. Which, um, she's not wrong. No. She's still not There's wrong. There's no lie. There's no lie there. No. Right, we're talking about how awful <laughs> it is that she fell in love with this guy. Also, yeah, I think she felt very, very much like an outsider. Yeah, her she, whole she, life. the conversation of her, you know, she's a woman of color, that comes up a lot. Like, yeah. she, she felt definitely, um... Stereotyped, other. yeah, yes, like stereotyped. she, she felt very stereotyped throughout her time in Iowa. Can you freaking Can you imagine? Believe? Yeah. Like, come on. I mean, even New York City. And yeah, exactly. I mean, let's look at what was happening at the time. Yeah. Andy Warhol, right, right, right. Who was right. he exploiting? Basquiat at yeah. the time. If you were a person of color and you were trying to make it in the art world, you were nothing more than this like fucking sideshow. Yeah. And I think that she felt that. Mm-hmm. Which is real fucked up. Because she was making, God, just incredibly important, profound profound work. Mm -hmm. Like, really thought-provoking and interesting. I don't... For sure. It's really sad. It is sad. It's a a dark... Yeah. (laughs) What do we say? This one makes me real sad. Yeah. It It breaks... It brings me down. I mean, well, it gets worse. (laughs) It only gets worse. Yeah. As much as she's seen so far, like, being ripped from her homeland and... Um, so it's what got a else? dark ending. Oh, what's the next project? <laughs> um, yeah, so we talked a little bit about we talked about the Silhouette series. She made a lot of them. They're all God, just as interesting as the last. We can yeah. only talk about three, but like right, they, right. I mean they span like different media mm-hmm. and different places and But materials. the subject matter feels consistent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She, it's life, it's death, organic material, self, body, mm-hmm. the feminine. Yep. Um, Landscape. Spiritual. Earth. Yeah. Her right. connection with earth. All, all things that. that we can all relate to. Yeah. Like, I mean, I guess less, but she's, I don't know, she's trying to whittle us all down to, like, where we came from. Right. So, uh, 1981, she... 
So she finishes the silhouette. Yeah, she's kind of done with that. Um, She goes back to Cuba, um, and she makes this series. You're going to say it for me, because you speak Spanish, not with the Valley Girl accent. Um, Guanaroca. She would make um, carvings into the landscape. She traced female forms different than how the way that she did them in the Silhouette series. Yeah. She wasn't physically laying down on things or, like, tracing herself. Um, she was making the carvings. They were still similar. They were still, a, like, a female figure. Um, the one that we're going to talk about, the Guanaroca, is... It's a like a head, and then the arms are down at their sides rather than bent up um, with her elbows parallel to the ground the way the silhouette is. Um, and they're coming down, and then the legs are wide at the top and then come to a point, kind of like, a, like an arrowhead shape. Mm-hmm. And then there's a slit in the middle where your vagina would be. So she's, I think, being more explicit about the female genitalia. And I think... Seeing her work evolve, I think she gets more and more explicit. Like yeah, the Silhouetta or, or series. Or more and more straightforward. Yeah, the Silhouettas yeah. don't have, like, depicted female genitalia. Mm-hmm. Like, they're small and petite, and they're her, but they don't, like... They're feminine figures, but they're not so straightforward, and not, like, what, you know, quote-unquote graphic. Like, you know... Yeah, I mean, later yeah. on, she gets, like, she's involving the breasts in the mm-hmm. design and yeah. the vagina and I think she gets more and more like focus on femininity right. on the and, expression yeah. of the actual female form right um and not that just the idea of it so she traces the one that I like a lot is um sort of what I already described it's a fertility figure carved into she would carve them into caves into cliffs um and she named them after indigenous goddesses and they're political. I mean, Cuba at the time, still today, like mm-hmm. Cuban-U.S. relations are really fraught. Um, but and they're also personal because it's her homeland. Right. She's an American artist. She came during a time where she was still during her like in her development. I think she's just as American as she is Cuban. Yeah. And her even her niece said that too. Um, but they are. Similar to her, her other works, but very different. I think their carvings, they she meant for them to be a little bit more permanent. She wanted other future visitors to these historic sites around Cuba to be to see them, but they were destroyed by erosion and then construction and things that were happening to the places. So, um, I... I don't know. I think her. you can see the evolution of her work. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the fact that they're indigenous goddesses um, from different cultures mm-hmm. and her culture and Mexican culture, I think that that's pretty telling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. Kind of it's a deeper culture. connection. Yeah, exactly. To the civilization. So her career sort of, she died in 1985, but the last three years of her life are really... When she started ascending, yeah, her her career was really on the rise, and um, well, she was really starting to get a name for herself. Yeah, she was living in New York at this time, so she would she understood she got a teaching certificate at the same time she got her MA. Mm-hmm. So she was teaching to pay the bills. She would also waitress 
And so she, like, was not a privileged person at all. In Cuba, she had a middle-class lifestyle, but in America, like, it was not, that was not the case. Like, she knew that she had to work in order to live. And she didn't, her career didn't really take off until these last three years. So I think she understood Mm -hmm. the struggle that a lot of us feel. Yeah, for sure. Um, But she was she started playing around with permanence after her AIR solo exhibit where she met Carl Andre. She won several fellowships, one to the Guggenheim. Mm-hmm. She got a National Endowment of the Arts fellowship, and then she won a residency in Rome in 1983, I think. Um, yeah, so she she was splitting her time... Yeah, for the American Academy in Rome, she won a residency. And so she was already with Andre, had been with Andre for a long time, and she was splitting her time between Rome and New York City. Mm -hmm. And she started working more in studios, something that she didn't normally do, and she, she was working with permanence, like things that could last a long time. And in 1985... Her and Andre married, mm-hmm. even though um, they had a pretty tense relationship. I think her career was on the rise and yeah. his was on the decline. Which was classic. I mean, they're both artists. Fucking so classic. So that could be problematic. Should we get right into I it? I guess. I mean, we can talk about the last series before we... So oh, she, yeah. So she... 1984 to 1985, she was splitting her time, of course, um, until she got married. So Totem Grove series um, is some of her final work. She would use gunpowder, which is something that she used sort of in some of the Silhouetta series and across her works. So she would use gunpowder to burn silhouettes into the surface of tree trunks. Um, and so she, the way that they're displayed now in the, in her collection that's, yeah, so it's represented by Gallery Lalong, but, um, so she used gunpowder powder to burn silhouettes into the surface of tree trunks. Um, some of the silhouettes, they look very different, but one in particular is three shapes, um, sort of in the shape of guitar picks, like they're, they're round at the top and they come to a point at the bottom and they have like breast, like the lighter parts are where the breast and the vagina would be and they're permanent. Like they're sculptures that are still around now. So they're, she's moving away from the ephemeral and into the permanent um, and sort of trying to find a way in which to make her work last. Um, so in 1985, despite all the tension in her relationship with Carl Andre, um, Mendietta, age 36, and Andre, age 52, get married in a private private ceremony in Rome. And after they get married, Anna moves back to New York City. Um, and then, so Raquel, her niece, her sister's daughter, who they were very close, they, they all had plans. So her sister... Um, had five children, so they had plans in September of 1985 for the five kids, her sister and her sister's husband, to come to Anna's house and have, they were supposed to go out to dinner and come over for a while so and talk. So they had talk. plans. They had fucking plans. Yeah. Right? Right. 
So, just a disclaimer, <laughs> we've returned to pause the current episode. Rebecca gets very passionate in this, in this next segment, so <laughs> we just wanted to give a disclaimer. This is a rated R podcast. Do we get an NC-17? This rated. Is an, yeah, this could be NC-17. Again. I don't know. How many times do you have to say the F word? The point before is... Before you get, like... I think I say seven per 30 seconds. Like back to back. Back to back to back. To back. back to back. Listen, it'll be fun. <laughs> it'll be so this is time. us just pre-warning you. So beware and continue. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Whew, I'm going to get so mad. Okay, okay. so. So she, she dies. Did we yeah, but they that? didn't know that. Okay, so they all come to the house. This is mm-hmm. what I'm, like, I heard Raquel tell this story in the podcast. Okay. That they all had plans to come over to the house, and then Anna just didn't answer the door. They were all there in New York City, outside of her Greenwich Village apartment, knocking on the door and waiting. It was the fucking 80s. No one had a cell phone. Like, yeah. they weren't. So then she didn't come up, and her mom, like, took a piece of cardboard and wrote, like, where were you on it, and left it at the front door, and then... They left, and Anna and Carl, Andre, were supposed to have this dinner party the night of September 8th, and Carl called everyone who was invited to the dinner party and canceled and just said, didn't say much, but just canceled. So it turns out, September 8th, Anna quote-unquote fell from her 34th floor apartment onto the delicatessen roof below. Allegedly, she was fucking pushed. Like, she was pushed from her window. The point is, he was acquitted of... So, they did end up taking him to trial, but he was acquitted due to lack of of evidence, basically, that he pushed Yeah, it was her. a bunch of fuck-ups. So, this was a big deal. She... Okay, so she was little. She was a tiny little yeah. thing. She was 93 pounds. He was 175. Mm-hmm. This window described by Carolee Sheenan, like, she said that she would have to have maneuvered herself out of this window, stood on top of something, and pushed, but and, like, like, flew. She was afraid of heights. Like, but, she was right, fucking right, afraid right, of heights. Right, continue yourself. I can't. I really is, can't. So the New York Times published the nine one one call. <laughs> so Andre um, calls nine one one. Very aloof. Very nonchalant. Aloof. So he goes. So he calls nine one one on the night of September eighth, nineteen eighty five, and he says that Anna went out the window. Um, that's all he says. Yeah, she went out the fucking window. But he mentions that they had an argument that they and that he she they had an argument about him being more successful. Like right. go and fuck so yourself. The neighbors also said that that no, night. No, the doorman across the street. People heard them arguing that night. And he, the doorman across the street testified and said that he he was the only witness to the case. He said that he heard a woman screaming no 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 just moments before she hit the roof of the deli below you're so intense i'm so fucking (laughs) pissed off she was a beautiful artist and this is what she's remembered by she is a symbol of the fucking patriarchy and how it beats women down and keeps them in their place like it just fucking pisses me off because when my mom was not gonna be able to i can't i can no i can no longer control myself he was 
arrested and tried for her murder, he chose to become he chose to come before not a jury but a single judge who said that there wasn't enough to beyond a reasonably a reasonable doubt commit him. And so he's been able. He's still fucking alive. This motherfucker is still fucking alive. He's fucking in his 80s. Fuck him. You if are? you don't I'm so mad. So he murdered her. He murdered her. Yeah. She I I allegedly allegedly he murdered her, but that's how I feel. That's what all of her family says. That's what all her friends say she was fucking afraid of heights. If I if but so Listen, this this event kind of triggers like a feminist movement. The whole where is where is Anna Mandieta? Where yeah. is um, Anna Mandieta? And it kind of like you know a lot of people protested um, three days I mean, before. Carl, this guy Carl, whatever. He's still an artist. Carl Andre still you know Fuck exhibiting him. and <laughs> and but. In every exhibit that he has, there's a crowd of, like, protesters. Right. You know, no, people no are letting movement. him forget, you know, that... I hope not. I yeah. hope he. I hope he takes us to his grave. I hope he's haunted every day. Right. It's really sad. It's, it sad. it's really fucking sad. But three days before... Before his trial was... <laughs> sorry, I'm really heated. I, I don't mean to be so heated. But, um... Three days before his trial, the new museum put on a retrospective of... Her work, and mysteriously, uh, these posters were put up outside that said um, "suicide, yeah. murder?" question mark With any details, call and they put the DA as DAA, DA's number. <laughs> they put the DA's number there to call for witnesses to come forward. And the night of the opening, someone sprayed the word suicide on the sidewalk out in front of the new museum yeah. in Soho. And um, so it was like a huge, everyone was pointing fingers at each other, but I feel like the people who supported Carl Andre were really, they the tragedy of, um, of Anna Mendieta's death was overshadowed by yeah. the tragedy of Carl Andre's career being lost. And it was kind of like... I mean, like, the Gorilla Girls, they had a statement for this, too. Yeah, they put up posters afterwards. Yeah, saying, like, uh, like posters of a picture of Andre, O.J. Simpson, and with the question, what do these men have in common? Right. There's a lot of people that believed It was always was the husband. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it certainly seems to point that way. I mean, again, she was a woman of color. She was I, a woman listen, in general. Listen, I'm not afraid of heights, but I'm afraid of needles. If I... If I find you, if one I day stabbed with... myself to death, like I don't. <sighs> Can you imagine? So that would be like the most twisted thing. The fucking patriarchy. Right. But listen, we're not going to remember her by her death and the fact that she was murdered by a man, by a piece of shit. We're going to remember. <laughs> we're going to remember that yeah. she is a That's really important hilarious. person and that she's exhibited across the world and. And her legacy lives on, and she was a feminist woman that we use as an example, you know? Right. She is, I think, the epitome of, you know when people say, like, oh, before 2014, like, no one really knew how to right. operate in this world. It's like, she knew. She knew what it was like. Yeah. She was talking about all the right things, yeah. and, like, she knew that we had to talk about women mm -hmm. and their, the violence against them. Yeah. 
And I, I, it's also really scary because a lot of her work is about male violence against women. Yeah. And that's how she died. Yep. So, whatever. Allegedly he killed her. I don't know anything, but that's, um... But it's just so interesting listen, that, I, like, the bulk of her work is about femininity and is about, like, women. And, you know, even one of her projects were was about a woman that was murdered. Yeah, was raped know? and murdered, yeah. Strange... I like Dark. her. I love her. Her work, oh my god. And has her such niece, too. Raquel Cecilia Mendiela, is still making work. Like, she's documenting her aunt's work and her own documentaries, and I go watch them. They're Legacy good. must live Legacy. on. Legacy. 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 Um, I'm pissed. I'm real pissed. So we end this on an angry note. <laughs> I know. I don't know how else to be. Oh, I'm I angry mean, about everything. Yeah, this I mean, is well, just we said it wasn't going to be a happy one. Justified. So. Yeah, the next one we promise is going to be we'll a little... We'll do something a little more a lighthearted. A little nicer, yeah. Um, like Mary Cassatt or something. Like <laughs> <laughs> Mary um, But I think it's important to talk about... Um, like female, like artists of color, yeah, too. For sure. Is that what she said was valid? Is that a lot of the, <laughs> a lot of the feminist art movement was um, very narrow-minded, and then you know LGBTQ plus artists as well. So Instagram, the art broadcast. We'll post some pictures. Our don't support Carl Andre's work. Yeah, fuck him. It's also like he was friends with like Saluit. And Andy Warhol, and he thought he was so much more important. And like, fuck no, like, ugh, God, man. His stuff kind of sucks too. Yeah, it's fucking sucks. Yeah, it's like sidewalks, right? Yeah, like avant-garde minimalism. Yeah. Suck a dick. Suck a clit. Like yeah. I can't. I can't. I, yeah. On the flip side. Yeah. Oh, wait, oh no, I was just gonna say that. Like, I can't. I can't help but really. Feel. I'm like, if we don't end this, <laughs> I'll just keep ranting about how pissed I am. Um, but yeah, okay, I'll see you later. See you later. I love how I'm literally exiting. Goodbye.